before we begin. Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your presence and help in our lives. Thank you, Father, that you are faithful in our lives. Father, we thank you for your protection, your goodness to us, Lord. And we do pray that we'll, our eyes may be open to see whatever you desire us to see and the things that happen in our lives. May, may, not, may we not just pass them by as coincidences, as something that is uh, um, just happenstance. We pray, Father, for your for spiritual eyes to make connections and to help us to see what is happening in our lives and in our hearts. So we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want to speak a little on the subtlety of pride. Just in things that I've observed and continue to observe in my own life and in the lives around us. Just how I can uh, sneak in unaware. And uh, it's one of those things that you look up later in life and it's a little too late. It's already infiltrated um, your life in subtle ways. And... When you do finally look up, it's it's got roots that are pretty deep. I want to begin with a with a um, a short story. It says Polly, this bull has killed me. Were the last words of Jose Cubero, one of Spain's most remarkable matadors, before he lost consciousness and died. Only 21 years old, he had been enjoying a spectacular career. However, in this 1958 bullfight, Jose made a tragic mistake. He thrust his sword a final time into a bleeding, delirious bull, which then collapsed. Considering the struggle finished, Jose turned to the crowd to acknowledge the applause. The bull, however, was not dead. It rose and lunged at the unsuspecting matador, its horn piercing his back and puncturing his heart. Just when we think we finished off pride, just when we turn to accept the congratulations of the crowd, pride stabs us in the back when we, we should never consider pride dead before we are. Now I'm reminded in the Christian life that pride is, if you picture it, it's kind of like an old house that's been repainted many times. It's got many layers of paint. When you start remodeling and tackling that old paint, you start peeling back the layers and you feel you finally make some process or some progress only to find that underneath there is another layer of paint. That's kind of how pride, pride works. It's kind of like that old game, whack-a-mole. You hit one over the head and whack it down and another one pops up. So many times we begin our Christian walk well. Our focus is set on God. Our hearts are fully committed to him. And we understand and recognize that he has saved us. And I remember this time very well in my life. Just coming to an end of myself. Just, okay, Lord, I have nothing left to prove. I've tried it all. 
Well, not all, but I've tried everything that I have and it's brought me no nearer to the peace that I'm looking for. But you, you see as you continue journeying on that pride begins to rise up, preventing us from being all God wants us to be by blinding us to his ways. And that's what pride does. It blinds us. Pride tempts us to believe that we know better than God does. And if left unchecked, pride will alter our attitude toward God and the path he has chosen for us to take. I want you to really think about that one phrase. If left unchecked, pride will alter our attitude toward God and the path he has chosen for us to take. And it's very clear with Adam and Eve that Satan planted a seed of pride in her heart that bore its fruit of deceit. So as believers, we believe that we need to be aware that Satan's goal is to deeply wound, to destroy and divide, and to conquer the lives of God's children. He never gives up on his quest to reach this goal and will wreak, wreak as much havoc as possible the life of a believer. And of all the struggles discussed in the Bible, pride is one of the most was one of with the most devastating results. Many of our problems result from pride's work in our lives, but too many people fail to realize this. They become prideful over the good things God has given them. Namely, we could say our jobs, our gifts, our giftings and callings, our abilities, can become prideful over our church, our education, our knowledge, even our children and family. And many more things could be added to this list. But it can sneak in very easily, very easily. God is very specific. He hates pride. In fact, I think it's right near the top of the things that he hates. In Proverbs 8.13, it says, Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. And in James 4.6, we know this verse very well. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And the Greek word for opposes are some... Translations say resist is literally to range in battle against. Range in battle against. So it's quite something if we think that God, who is supposed to be, is to be our protector and the person that has a plan and a purpose and a blessings for our lives is now totally the opposite. He is in battle against us against proud people. In uh, Peter, it says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So Peter reiterated what James has said here. And we could say that every morning as we awake, maybe the enemy has already set out his landmines for us in our lives. And if we're not discerning, we'll fall prey to his tactics. 
and uh, it's simply I feel that the chiefest way that Satan does this is for us for for him to show or try to tell us that we don't need God. We can do fine without God. And we have the abilities and the strength to do whatever we want without his blessings, without his uh, His uh, grace and just favor in our lives. And that's what he wants us to do. Just simply, hey, you don't, you don't need God in your life. And a lot of times we fall prey to that. I know I do. You jump out of bed and you feel, well, it's really not, I'm out of time, so it's really not important for me to, I'll, I'll do it along the way, to just invite God into my life, to ask his blessings, and to just, uh, again, pray that I can't do anything without him. Because the very breath, the very life that I have comes from, from him. And we just run off and continue about our day. And yes, we do have strength. I mean, we do do our, our work and our jobs. We interact with these many different things. But it's just a subtle way. When we do it once, we do it again. It's kind of how it works. I've noticed that a lot in my life with other things, that some of, in some of the things that God freed you from or rescued you from, it seems that as soon, uh, well, if, if they're, let's just say, if you haven't really overcome them, as soon as you take a bite again, you're full-fledged into it again. And I, it's strange how that works, but that's just the way that, that I've seen it in my life. As soon as you give in that little bit, that's all, you, that's all the devil wants, that little bit of giving in, you simply, it seems like it's a landslide again. And then it's another struggle for months to try to overcome these things. And it's the same way with this. I found in my life that if everything is seemingly well, going well, um, it's just this mindset, well, God must love me. I mean, I, I, really, I really don't need to interact with him as well because everything is going well. And it's just a lie. It's simply pride. It's the devil. Just this, this same pride in showing, just uh, making us under, or making us try to help us to see that we can do fine without God. And in reality, we can't. But because, here's the thing, as soon as, soon as we're in a situation, like yesterday with the fire, or no, not yesterday, but things like that, where something happens in an instant, the first thing we do is we cry out to God. We say, Lord, help. And it shows us that we're really not as strong as we believe we are in reality. So pride will, can, can kill you. It can actually literally kill a person, as we see in Scripture with King Herod. It says, On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, This is the voice of a god, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, 
An angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. That's a horrible death. I mean, in a sense, when you look at Herod's life here, did he immediately fall down and die? Um, he, I think he was, he was immediately struck. But he went through an ordeal of uh, disease there where he was eaten of worms and died. And people could have just chalked that up to just was ill. You know, he was sick. And his lifestyle had caught up with him. But it's really, in a sense, it is true. But we, we do see here what is actually going on. Angel of the Lord struck him down and he perished. And I know he's not a believer. But nonetheless, we see God actively resisting him, even to the point of striking him down in the pinnacle of his pride and arrogance. And God is merciful. He is gracious. And we see it in Herod's, even in Herod's life. He gave him a lot of time. I'm sure he, he interacted with a lot of people, maybe that even spoke into his life. But pride is the sin that will most likely keep you from crying out for a savior. And those who think they are well will not look for a doctor. As seriously dangerous as pride is, it's equally hard to spot. When it comes to diagnosing our hearts, those of us who have the disease of pride have a challenging time of identifying our sickness. Pride infects our eyesight, causing us to view ourselves through a lens that colors and distorts reality. Pride will paint even our ugliness of sin as beautiful and commendable. We can't conclude that we don't struggle with pride because we don't see pride in our hearts. The comfortable moments when I pat myself on the back for how well I am doing are the moments that should alarm me the most. I need to reach for the glasses of Christ-like humility, remembering that nothing good dwells in my flesh, and search my heart for secret pride and its symptoms. Those verses, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Pride will paint even our ugliness of sin as beautiful and commendable. It distorts reality. So I want to go through a few areas where pride can infiltrate us in our everyday lives. And the first one is, I've no talked about, I've talked about this one quite a bit, but it's very real because I feel it's very connected to pride and its fruits, which is fault-finding and a critical spirit. Because if you boil it down, if you boil down this sin, that's what it boils down to. It simply boils down to pride. Looking for faults in people's lives and in their actions, I believe is simply a way in which we elevate our own character and standing above others in our own minds. Is simply thinking we are somehow more acceptable in God's sight than the person that we are being critical against. And we don't because we don't do the things that they do. 
Pride can cause people to speak of other people's sins in a, just a joking manner, with an air of contempt. Pride is always looking into people's lives and trying to find faults and saying, aha, see what he or she is doing now. And it's that same heart that we see in with the Pharisee and the tax collector, those two men that went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. And one, of course, prayed thus with himself. It's interesting, he actually didn't pray out loud. He just prayed thus with himself. He thank you that I'm not like other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even as this, this publican here. I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. The publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalted himself shall be abased, and he that humbled himself shall be exalted. This can be very real in our lives. And when you sit around people, you sit around and you visit. It's just a reality a lot of times that we do a lot of a lot of speaking of other people, of other groups of and it's not always bad. It isn't. But I find most of the time in my own heart that there is a purpose behind it. There is a purpose why I enjoy it. And it simply boils down to, well, I'm, it just boils down to seeing myself as better in the sight of God as these other people are. But yet they are, they are formed and created in the image of Christ, and yet he died for them as well. And he is working in their lives and on their journey. Their journey may not look like mine does. And yes, we are to believe in what we're doing. We are to believe in why we live the way that we do and why we, we uh, why we're here, why we're journeying and walking together. And I think it's beautiful. But I feel that this life, it should be lived out rather by our actions than by our words a lot more. That in drawing people, people are drawn probably not by what you say. Well, I guess sometimes by your teachings as well. But by much more what they see in your group about how you care for one another and how you love each other. That is the thing that people notice. That's the thing that people see. But a servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle to all, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those who oppose, if perhaps God will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they awake out of the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him, so as to do the will of that one. And even through this, even through this, in a servant of the Lord must not strive, 
be gentle to all, apt to teach. Even this is done in patience. In patience, knowing that people are simply on a journey, they need to be taught in patience, and that we are patient with them, just like Christ is patient with us. So, pride causes us to filter out the evil we see in ourselves. It also causes us to filter out God's goodness in others. We sift them, letting only their faults fall into our perception of them. And you could say that even sitting here, sometimes when we listen to messages, we think, well, I'm really glad this person is here because they really need to hear this. And, boy, I really wish this person could hear it. And it's exactly what the enemy wants, I feel. That's exactly the thoughts that he wants us to have because we tend to look at our own hearts. We tend to focus on the spirit surgery on our own hearts. And no, I don't have all the answers. I'll readily admit that. But I know there's a right way of living and uh, just how we interact with each other in patience. And I look at the life of Christ and whom he walked with. He had an inner circle whom he walked with, but he never really rejected anyone that came to him. He, it was said yesterday, I think Brother John said it, that we Kate Basel, and I, I, I can confirm that, that when you met her, talked to her, it seemed like you were the only one there. And that, that was true. It was just as focus where she wasn't distracted, she looked at you, she listened to you, and she had this, just this joy upon her face, like, wow, I, I get to talk to this person. Or it was, she made you feel pretty special in that. And I think she did that with, with everyone, because I feel that she knew that we are all Christ's children. And my second one here is superficiality or putting on of pretenses. Pride often causes people to act different in outward appearance, have a different way of speaking or acting when they're around certain people. I've heard it before. I've listened to testimonies, especially in the Anabaptist circles, as is pretty prevalent. When you come into a certain group of people, you want to be known as somebody that has something to say and that has it together. You know, you don't want to, people to understand or people to see that you're just a struggling person. And uh, with uh, these different things going on in your life, you want to, to show that you're on an upward path. And of course, we want to be this. And I do believe that God does have us on, it, on this trajectory if we press into him. But it can be real. I've seen it in myself. And in those times, I've noticed that the things that you tend to say are really just parenting. parroting. It's just, it's not real. 
it really doesn't go. It's you just say it to make this person feel good about yourself. Anyway, that's what I've seen in my life. And every time I, I walk away from that and I, and I ask myself, was well, that actually something you believe in? Is this the true you? Or did you just say this because it sounds nice? And it's the right answer to this question. Because you really don't want to get into uh, the real meat of it. It's kind of like the Judas Iscariot syndrome. It's just hiding. And the disciples didn't know what was going on with him. But it does come out here. It says, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. He had the bag and bare what was put therein. I can sometimes see myself in that because it's simply what is happening. I've seen in a lot of times in my life where it doesn't ring true. I feel like a hypocrite a lot of times. Especially I've seen when you, when you come together and you're on the defensive mode, and you're trying to defend something that you know you yourself aren't living. And the more you defend, the more, the, the worse you feel about it. Because you know, well, I'm just putting on a pretense here. So it's just something I thought about. Superficiality is actually just pride. It's simply not admitting what your true feelings are. And it's hypocritical. So when Jesus said, he said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do. For they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries <coughs> wide and their tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, not shall be, will be. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. We are not to be called rabbis. We are not to be called to call anyone fathers. We are not to call anyone instructors on this earth. Because it says here, that you are all brothers. You're all brothers. 
So when pride lives in your heart, in our hearts, we're far more concerned with others' perceptions of us than the reality of our hearts. We make sure that what we present and what people can see is clean and polished. We deal with those things just to paint a nice picture, but in the meantime, make peace with the sins that no one sees. We have great success in the areas of holiness that have highly visible accountability, but little concern for the disciplines that happen in secret. We have great success in the areas of holiness that have highly visible accountability, but little concern for the disciplines that happen in secret. It's very true. We can easily fall into this mentality of making sure that when we are seen or the things that we do are done really well and people praise us for it. But little concern for the disciplines that happen in secret. And yes, we should. We should um, be stewards we should be diligent. We should do our best. But it's so true that what really happens behind closed doors or when we're in somebody else's presence and there's something else comes out in what we're portraying over here where everyone can see, it's pride. It boils down to pride. And the next one is defensiveness. This is a kind of a personal one for me. I struggle with it, but I still feel that defensiveness is at the root, it's the root of pride. A brother once told me that there are a few people, there are a few ways people react when they receive correction or rebuke. And the first one is instantly pull out their guns and start firing in a defensive manner. So when someone corrects you, when someone rebukes you at something, I've seen this in my life, the guns come out and, you know, start blazing back. The second one is that they listen to what you have to say, but they leave and nothing changes. The third one is that they are defensive at first, but Later on, they come around and they say, you know what? After thinking about what you said and searching my heart, I find what you said is true. I've seen myself in all of these. And true humility is not knocked off balance and thrown into a defensive posture by challenge or rebuke, but instead continues in doing good and trusting the soul to our faithful creator. This has been one of the areas of my life that have shown me if I truly am free or if I'm wanting to be free of pride or if there still is pride in me. It is when someone corrects me. And I have seen that without thinking, I've become so defensive and just firing back without even thinking. And I walk away from that. And man, 
It's just well, what is in the sponge is squeeze. You just think, or what is what is in the sponge when and squeezed comes out when squeezed. And sometimes it's not pretty. For this is thankworthy in First Peter two nineteen. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. Well, not necessarily. For I mean, when we're rebuked or challenged. For what glory is it if, when when you are buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently? But if, when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to the to him that judged righteously. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye are healed. Okay, it's kind of out of context, this one. This is when your enemies revile you. This is not when a brother comes to you. But it is simply that no guile was found in his mouth. And this is what I want for my own self. That we do say, we continue to say, brother, if you see something in me, tell me, show me. That's, that's what we say. And it's one of those things that sound nice to say, very clearly. It's, it sounds nice to say because it's the right thing to say. But when somebody actually does it, what is the response? That's the question. What's, what's our response when somebody actually has the courage to point out these things in our lives that are not that do not glorify Christ. And that's the challenge for me. And no, it isn't easy because you become, it just, you feel vulnerable. You feel less than, you know. But it's important that people do this. And the next one is desperation for attention. Another effect of pride is to crave attention. People often tend to act in a special manner as though others should take great notice and regard of them. It is very natural to a person that is very much under the influence of pride to take all the respect that is paid to him. If others show a willingness to submit to him and yield in deference to him, he is open to it and freely receives it. It becomes natural for him to expect such treatment and to take much notice if a person fails to do so and to have an ill opinion of those who do not give him what he feels he deserves. One of the best examples, of course, in the Bible of this is Haman. As he says, the king asks him, Haman, what should the king do for the man in whom he delight, the king delights to honor. And he said, let a royal apparel be brought, which the king used it to wear, and the horse that the king rided upon, and the crown royal, which he set upon his head, and let this apparel and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that they may array the man with all whom the king delighted to honor, and bring him on horseback through the street of the city, and proclaim before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighted to honor. And the king said to Haman, 
make haste and take the apparel and the horse, and as thou hast said, and do even so to Mordecai the Jew. But sit it at the king's gate. Let nothing fail of all that thou hast spoken. I'm wondering if he actually knew what he was doing, but I doubt it. It was simply a question for Haman, since he was his uh, wise man or his uh, counselor. But how ironic. The Bible is clear, and it says that if what we pursue is attention and praise of man, we have received our reward, and that is the praise of man. It's very clear Christ told us, if this is what we're after, the praise of man, to have people speak well of us, guess what? You have your reward. That's all it is. One under the influence of spiritual pride is more apt to instruct others than to inquire for himself and so naturally puts on the airs of control. The eminently humble Christian thinks he needs help from everybody. He can learn from everybody. Whereas he that is spiritually proud thinks everybody needs his help and his advice. Christian humility under a sense of others', others misery entreats and beseeches, but spiritual pride tries to command and warn with authority. So, if we feel that our counsel or our, the way that we project ourselves when we visit or when we interact or when we are together, that what I say is the bottom line and what you say really doesn't matter because I know much more of a subject than you do. That's pride. I'm sorry to say, but it's pride. Because this is not how humility works. I don't think that's how Jesus walked. And there's a way to bring out a point, and there's a way not to bring it out. And the way that it's brought out is people listen, and they... <clears throat> They can add a little bit to it, and you're not offended. And other things. Maybe some other brothers have uh, some insight in how that, in, in some uh, testimonies. But you know when a person is speaking to you and not over you. You sense it immediately. When a person is speaking to you as if you are or you're, uh, you have something to say as well or that you don't elevate yourself over them. They don't speak over you in with this attitude of I have it and you don't and you need to listen to me, to what I have to say. I've been part of that myself. I can honestly say and it's one of the harder things to spot in our life uh, for ourselves. Other people notice it rather quite quickly. 
but our, my last one here is neglecting others. Pride prefers some people over others. It honors those who the world deems worthy of honor, giving more weight to their words, their wants, and their needs. There's a thrill that goes through us when people with power acknowledge me, acknowledge us. We consciously or unconsciously pass over the weak, the inconvenient, and the unattractive because they don't seem to offer us much. Neglecting others. Basically, we could say cliques or factions. Or even, I still remember Ralph's, Ralph's story of, you know, I was at church one time and this guy came in, he sat in the back, all the way in the back, he, he, he looked unkempt and he didn't smell the nicest. So he said, once you sat down with him, it was like a well of deep wisdom. And a lot of times I've seen in my own life, we, we pass over people like that the unattractive, the weak, the inconvenient. And we feel they don't have much to offer. Even the disabled or um, people like Down syndrome. I remember going to visit a community one time as a boy. And they had this this Down syndrome boy or, or autistic. And you... I tried to distance myself as much as possible from that person as a boy because it's all so strange. And I just remember that for some reason. I even locked the doors on the vehicle because I was afraid it was going to come over. But it is, we have to understand that this is also someone who's created an image of God. And they also are a person, a unique person. And I, I do remember uh, the story of Corrie ten Boom as well. Before she was in prison, she was into this ministry of being with these the Down syndrome and the, uh, the autistic and the disabled. That's what she did. A lot of it. And that's she spent time with them. She took them out to parks and whatever. She taught them the word of God as best as she could. And when she, when she came to this one officer or when she was in prison finally and they brought her on trial, they knew exactly what she had, what she had been up to. And they were wondering why in the world did you spend your time with these people? I mean, what is the point? And that's what she told them. She told them, I have learned more from these people than I have from a lot of others. Just their devotion and their, their simple devotion to Christ and to and how they how they are. So it is just learning to see hidden things that we might miss that are not readily available for us to see on the outward. So, it's a daily struggle, 
to recognize and purge pride from our lives. But I do believe that God is able to help us in this. I do believe that this is what he wants us to do. He puts certain things into our happenings, into our lives that show us, okay, again, we cannot do anything without him. And I just want you to remember again that I I find in my life, in these times of trouble, of, of, of quick and in, or instant trouble, first thing you do is cry out to God for help. And yet all the other times we tend to feel that we can do without him because everything's well. But these things in our lives are simply to show us that we actually, it's still the same. We still need him today just as much as we do then, probably even more so, because it will keep us from falling into these subtle sins of pride. So thank you for listening, and God bless you.